aka Patters, welcome to Audio Audacity. That's my podcast. We're here. We're still in the 31 Days of Dread. We're still in October, and we're doing another tangent. Uh, coming up next, I, I moved some things around. I did some producer maneuvering. We're, we'll be doing Squid Game, okay? So that is the very next episode, but I thought I would take the opportunity and, and earn a little bit of the audio audacity because what I'm about to say, I'm sure a lot of people are going to think that I'm being audacious, that I have audacity and they're going to question my audacity. Well, here we go. We're talking Scream Queen. This is a documentary uh, produced starring Mark Patton. If, if you care about Mark Patton, 2019 documentary about a movie that came out in 1980. The movie that this documentary is about came out in 1985. And in 2019, we get Mark Patton. He's the guy that starred in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. And, yeah, like, the, there was some enlightenment in, in the first like 20-something minutes of this documentary. The, the whole point of this documentary is no more to guilt trip people, emotionally blackmail people, um, to do like this forced reunion. And Mark Patton's objective, outside of telling us that this is a homoerotic movie, Freddy 2, which it's not. Because I addressed this when I a couple episodes ago. But he really wants you to believe it. There's very little evidence. We have the screenwriter. We have the director. But he wants these people to fess up. And he is claiming. That I guess in some way. He was emotionally tortured. Emotionally inflicted. To the point that he couldn't. Carry on with his film career. Now. These topics, uh, the, the topics that this movie touches, a lot of it's 100% true when it comes to marketing yourself, having an agent, having the giving the agent some level of control over your career. And if the agent says, hey, they're hiring redheads, you have to dye your hair, you're dyeing your hair if you want to be a film actor. So... There's, there's some things when it comes to, I would say, even religious belief. I would say even uh, who how you identified yourself sex, sexually. Like, these things uh, are there and they're not there. Now, they're not there as a audience goer because you're watching the freaking movie and, you know, like, you don't care about this outside stuff. You just want to sit down, do a brain dump, and get entertained. But Mark Patton, he uses this documentary, he builds the argument up, and, you know, we do get some tidbits from, I think it's The Advocate, and maybe, like, one or two other, like, um, might, one of them might have been Village Voice, but, like, you know, somewhat comments or articles along the way that identified this, uh, Freddy 2 as a homoerotic movie, when they came out, and to me, that's very important. That is, like, the most important, like, artifact you can have to build your argument. Because if it's not there from the beginning, then uh, it can't be there later. 
because you know, like you're inflicting something, you're projecting something that's not there. Now, artwork and all these other things, like any piece of art, changes through time. And that's fine too. But we saw something very similar uh, where there was a generation that came up believing Top Gun was the same thing. And that went away when enough people rewatched the movie and that that opinion just washes over it becomes a a party anecdote as it was pitched in you know by Quentin Tarantino I believe the movie was Sleep With Me feel free to fact check me on that and this this I believe should be the same it should just be like a footnote an idea um fan fiction a little bit of a of a side tangent to another meaning of Freddy 2 Nightmare on Elm Street but this documentary uh I believe makes that argument very poorly and they keep going to this S&M club which I address I mean look I you know I addressed it a couple episodes ago where if maybe if the filmmaking if the power of the filmmaking was better that scene could have come off like a hundred percent like you now that scene could have been sellable but we're dealing with a very quick production we're dealing with hey you know like let's just sit down and make a freaking movie you know <laughs> we have to make a movie because we're we're a film company and we have to hire people so that's a lot of the uh positioning when it comes to the creatives you know in back of the you know behind the camera but when you're in front of the camera, you know, did, did Mark Patton push a couple, like, angles in his acting? Like, a couple positions to go one way or the other. I don't believe so. I believe Mark Patton was an atypical leading role for a horror movie. The Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was very atypical. It went against the grain. They were successful because of it. They wanted to repeat that formula or experiment with that formula leading man it's a possession movie as stated in this documentary i was so happy to hear that i i think our um, our writer right who who wrote this now rated by i i can't even see who um oh because i'm on the wrong freaking movie that's why written by david chaskin so david chaskin doesn't participate in the reunion, he participates in the documentary and kind of teases and doesn't say explicitly the intent of the screenplay. Some people will say it was there from the beginning. Maybe. like So here's the thing. If it's there in the beginning, the movie was zero. There was zero impact. If there was any like homoerotic undertones in this movie, it was... And it was a zero impact movie. People wanted Freddy. They wanted Freddy enough for a third movie. So <laughs> you can't it's like it's it's really hard to say. You know, and, and when people rediscover movies, they can put whatever they want like on it, which is perfectly fine, but I just don't feel like there's enough meat on the bone to forward this argument. I, um there's we don't get good quotes. We don't get good snippets from some of these early 
Village Voice articles and reviews or what the advocate said. I think, you know, seeing some of that, uh, having some of those people who were involved with those magazines comment on what the uh, what was in the air when this movie came out. Uh, you know, like uh, approaching the hard ideas and overcoming the hard concepts, meaning this movie was not, I mean, like Philadelphia was impactful, you know, not this movie. And, you know, like you have to make that comparison and you have to kind of connect those dots just when it comes on a historical, um, like movie sense meaning uh historically as a movie where does this line up what does it actually mean what we get though we do get a lot of emotional blackmail we get these concepts and and it goes into these directions uh you know really about the culture around some of it but not you know and we don't need that we need to (laughs) we need evidence we need proof we need more conversation we don't need uh designed history lessons uh, to kind of go square peg round hole and that's really how i feel about this documentary now you know like i would say like just on a filmmaking sense it's 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 well made but i think any documentary that, that that keeps towing the line or keeps moving the chains is well made okay so there you go now, are there things designed within the documentary to validate the points? Yes. Do they? Does that happen? No. Because here we go. Jack Shoulder, he's our director. Uh, this guy, he's made he made Alone in the Dark, good movie. The Hidden, good movie. Wishmaster Two, Evil Devil Dies, uh, good freaking movie. Direct video, but whatever. <laughs> I enjoyed that play. I think I originally first saw it on like Cinemax or some crap. But here's the thing. When you have your director explicitly say, I didn't see any of this in the movie. I made the movie and I got none of it. Because you're making the movie that's low budget with a zero time, like, time stamp. Like you have to make this movie now. Limited sets limited time okay and a lot of these people are young so they're green in front of the camera and if you're sitting down at this reunion and you say that you have completely like removed the point of your very own movie in your own documentary and now it becomes pointless and then jack jack sits down with, with mark and says I, you know like why are you chasing your own tail <laughs> you have to move on with your life I mean, it, that very ballsy for them to leave that in there. That I think that was a, you know, like that was a ballsy move. But it also removes the validation. It it does subtract. It it completely subtracts from the point of scream scream queen making the case that Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is a homoerotic movie, and its star, its star is Jesse is somehow having a um, erotic relationship with Freddy Krueger. No, Freddy Krueger pushes the boundaries. He needs to push the boundaries. He's the villain. Uh, it will kind of get a little bit blurry. You will be on that fence. Things will be gray. And the nature, the nature of the, the uh, decisions and how those decisions end up on film, that's it. Now, 
responsibly, you kind of have to say that this movie was hijacked. It was retro. It was like, you know, like it was recanoned for these reasons. It's just community of people hooked on to it. That's all fine. You know, you can document that. You can document the new connection people had with Freddy 2. You can document the new commentary on Freddy 2. But you have to go to the source and say, look, the movie was intended for this. But this is now where it's arrived. Isn't that interesting? And I, I would be all for that. I would be also for, I will say it again for the third time before we get out of here. Historical documentation on the early reviews that read this as a homoerotic movie. Where are they and what exactly are they saying? This documentary should have, should have highlighted that explicitly. AKA Pat here, signing out. Get let's let's do some Netflix Squid Games. The final three days of the 31 Days of Dread are coming.